0: really think outside of the box keep all your options open everything if you've got an idea in your head that you've been thinking of now is the time to give it a go because no one's going to judge you
1: i'm danny Valant, and this is dirty linen the podcast that takes the issues the hospitality industry finds hard to air in public and shakes them all about As Melbourne heads back into lockdown, I thought it was a really good time to catch up with Sam Pinzoni, a food consultant who works across different restaurants in Melbourne. Personally, I feel a little bit shell-shocked. I've just been away for a few days on the Mornington Peninsula. I've just jumped out of the car, unpacked a bunch of food, and I'm looking around my house thinking, hmm, I'm gonna be here a lot for the next six weeks. It is such a weird feeling I know this feeling, but I didn't want to feel it again. And I just know that there's so much heartache, hardship and bloody hard work that people are doing to prepare for this lockdown and hopefully to see a way that they can come out the other side. So, Sam, tell me what you've been doing today.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, today's been a real tough one. Um, You know, they only gave us just 24 hours notice, sort of. Um, you know, everybody's sort of come back and, you know, they've ordered, they've they've got um, things in place, they've they've got customers who have booked in, whether they're restaurants or cafes, um, and, you know, now you've got to sort of call everybody and tell them, no, we're not doing it. Um, and then today, too, like, you know, we came in and it was a big rush, too, like, everybody rushed us, you know, it was really hard to, you know, turn some people away, and I think, too, owners are in... Two mindsets about you know whether or not when we had the discussion today, I won't mention where I am, but you know the owners are like, oh bugger it, we'll just bring them in and we'll just take as much money as we can because it didn't look like today that anybody really cared about the social distancing. Everybody just wanted to get that last that last brunch in or that last lunch in. Um, and for the owners at the moment, I guess it's it's you know it's it's, it's money that's 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 their concern. Um, you know we've had.
1: That's, yeah, that's so tough.
0: Yeah. And when the customers come in and they're all lined up at the door and they're like, oh, we don't care, we don't care. Like we, we literally had customers today standing there saying they don't really care, they just want to come out and eat.
1: I mean, isn't that what got us into this mess?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, I find that really scary and and concerning and depressing, to be honest. I mean, I know that people... Don't want to. I don't know that. I know that no one wants this to be happening, but I just find it bizarre and baffling that that people think it doesn't apply to them.
0: That's right. It's it's quite scary, you know. And you know, I, I kind of feel, you know, for the for restaurant owners and cafe owners because it puts them in a predicament too because they go, oh, well, we're gonna possibly shut down, and some don't have the opportunity to do takeaway. Um, or they don't want to do takeaway because it might hurt their brand, or you know, there's just so many different scenarios. And today I said to the, guy, you know, I said don't, don't do it, don't take the risk. You know, we we want to do it the right way because we don't want to be, we don't want to be in this position ever again. Like this has got to be, this has got to be the last time we go into this. Um, you know, uh, the council, you know, we they, these guys have got a, a shed out the back. Uh, where they keep everything, but, you know, the council are going to, we found out a day or two, they're going to take that away. So, today, a lot of the dry goods and all that kind of stuff have come into the restaurant. So, at the, at the moment, it's, um, it's like a jungle. <laughs> You're kind of just sort of scrambling around.
1: Oh, that's so heavy. Yeah.
0: And um, then you've got wow. uh, people that just, uh, you know, it's going to be their last shift for six weeks. And you've got to have that conversation too. Um, and that's always a hard one.
1: How do you approach that conversation?
0: Yeah, look, I mean, we, we are trying uh, as best as we can to, you know, open up different avenues. Um, you know, we're trying other things. We're going to do some burgers and sandwiches and stuff in the mornings. Um, you know, I've even got, I've got, we've got one guy coming in from 4am till 6am, um, just going to make some sandwiches in the morning and, you know, we'll pay him what we can and he can he can take what he can and we'll leave it at that. I <laughs> mean, um, he's happy with that. Yeah. Um,
1: mm. It's been
0: a pretty pretty rough day and the mood too. Of I think you know the, the workers. Is just, you know, it's, it's it's hard to keep morale up because they know that they're going to go back to this.
1: I think it's so hard in those circumstances for the staff and the owners to also be that that policeman. You know, to be. Uh, to be spelling out the rules over and over again to people who don't want to listen. I I guess from that point of view, I can understand where you just throw up your hands and you're just like, what, just, okay, whatever. You know, let's just get through this day. So, but must be really hard. Yeah. So tell us, Sam, about... it's
0: a pretty tough one.
1: Tell tell us about what you do um, from day to day normally. You work across a a bunch of different venues.
0: Yeah, so um, I've, uh, I, I normally, I've got about four or five places, uh, that I look after, um, at one given time. Um, one of them is a big, uh, catering company. Um, and, and normally I'm, you know, I'm, I'm more of a, I used to be a chef, but these days for the last sort of six years, I'm more of a numbers guy. Um, I'm, you know, train, I, I try to train the chefs on, you know, how to understand their, their food cogs and their labor and what they're buying and how to write their menus. Um, and you know, that, that, that for me can spread, be- you know, across could be a, a fine dining restaurant um, or it could be a cafe. Uh, and I was lucky early in my career to, you know, I, my uncle grew up in um, in pubs. So I guess, you know, and not, not anything fantastic either, just, you know, the Parmigiana sort of style pub. Um, but I sort of learnt that before I got the chance to go and work with um, Neil Perry and a few other really good chefs. And then I sort of learnt that food could be so much more, um, and now I sort of focus my career on just really teaching uh, people and and business owners too, because business owners sometimes they think that they're going to come into this thing and they're going to make millions of dollars, but that's just not the case. Um, it can be a bit of a, a, a bit of a like a, a rain check, really. Um, and it's a, it's hard conversations to have with people sometimes. They just think, "Yeah, we're just going to buy the best of the best, and we'll open up, and we're just going to make it a heap of money." But unfortunately, most of the time, I'd say about a good ninety percent of the time, restaurants close down, uh, and cafes too.
1: Do you reckon you can tell? You know, when you walk into a restaurant that's just opened, whether they're the whether they're the ninety percent or the ten percent.
0: Yeah, definitely. I can tell by the attitude of the owner. Um, I can tell by. The way that they've they've done it up, um, you, most of the time it's just about when you walk. You just feel it when you walk in. Um, some I've been doing it for you know nearly close to 20 years now, and um, you just you just get that feeling like you walk in and you go okay. So they've spent you know 100k just on the bar, and they've spent another uh, 100,000 dollars in the kitchen and <clears throat> No one's really thought about anything. Uh, and then the cool room's the world's smallest cool room, but then they want to have everything <laughs> on the menu. <laughs> uh, and then the chef that they've hired is a really great chef, but he hasn't really thought about what he's put on the menu. He's got, you know, certain flowers on certain dishes and certain garnishes, and you're just like, well, cheese have, have, we, have we costed any of this? Uh, you know, I know we all think that – and I've been a I've, – I've done that myself at, at, the, at the younger ages – you know, I thought, you know, yeah, we're going to open and we're going to be the bee's knees and then you open up and there's there's nothing. <laughs> uh, you're just sort of twiddling your thumbs and then you've got 12 chefs in the kitchen standing there doing nothing, 15 staff on the floor.
1: <laughs> Tell me what you think when you see nasturtium written on a menu.
0: Yeah, when I see something like nasturtium or anything that's a sort of like a specialty item for me, that's, a, that's almost locking yourself into like a debt, like a menu debt, I like to call it, because... Um, that's not always going to be the case that you're going to get that. I mean, I know a lot of people, for instance, um, you know, like I see, you know, garlic chai flowers and stuff like that and I think, you know, you're, you're actually putting yourself in, in danger with that because as a customer, they're going to read it and they're going to go, oh, yeah, I've never heard of a garlic chai flower on a station before. I might order that. And then, who knows, maybe it didn't come this morning. I'd say to the chefs or the owners – when I, when I go through the menus with the chefs, I always say to them, why don't you put flowers or something neutral? Um, instead of mentioning all the f- fruits that you're going to put on the dish, maybe, or a porridge or whatever you're going to do, just maybe say in their spices, and then the waiters can sort of tell them what's going on because we all know that you don't always get what you've ordered and it can be a, a nightmare <laughs> and it can be quite expensive too. And then... At the end of the day, the customer pays the price because one, they um they gotta they, they, they get told that they they're gonna have the dish but it's not on there. And then two, the owner's gonna pay the price because I'm pretty sure these days everybody's pretty tech savvy. A uh a review's gonna pop up somewhere, someone's gonna say something. Always happens.
1: I didn't get my nasturtium.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's a nightmare too. <laughs> Even though it's yeah. just peppery stuff. <laughs>
1: Uh, but yeah they look so good on instagram don't they if you don't get that shot did it really happen they do exactly Um, so sam i know that you've got you know you you're you're definitely one for training chefs coming up through the industry certainly in that you know the, the numbers side of things and how important it is to have the back end of a business good but how do you think that the current like to and fro and this horrible roller coaster of coronavirus is going to affect young chefs in terms of their training and what they're able to learn um, in restaurants?
0: Yeah. Look, I think it's hard because the menus at the moment, like sort of what we're putting in place in two places that I'm doing at the moment, they're not menus that anybody's going to really, you know, spark a, you know, a creativity. you're not going to get any creativity out of it. Um, you know, they're, they're fairly standard things. Um, so I think it's hard for a chef to, to learn their trade in a time like this. Um, I think it's really hard for a chef to learn their trade in a time like this, not just creativity-wise, but sort of everything, you know, and, and morale being – the worst thing, I think, is, you know, I used to I used to hate it um, when I was an apprentice and you'd be just in the kitchen by yourself maybe for the first – I mean, I'm talking like pubs back in the day, but, you know, you'd they'd get the apprentice to start early in the morning and you'd be in there for two hours by yourself maybe. Um, and that's kind of sort of what – you know, you're going to see now is, you know, owners are going to go, okay, well, we're going to pick and choose who we need and, you know, you're going to work four or five hours today and then you're going to go home and then the next one's going to come in and he's going to work a few hours and it's hard to keep the morale up when there's just, you know, two or three people in the place and you're not ticking over anything.
1: And you don't get those ideas bouncing around?
0: Yeah, no, you definitely don't get those ideas because chefs need that camaraderie. They need that, they need that, um they need the passion to flow it's very hard when you're in there by yourself and you've got no one to talk to you're just maybe you know making some sandwiches or making some burgers and the only thing you're listening to is that little bing bing from the uber
1: (laughs) hopefully (laughs) and then if you're not hearing the bing bing that's even worse
0: yeah then it's just depressing because you know you're standing there okay you're getting you're getting some money but it's it's oh it's it's just really hard
1: what would you say I mean how can we help people the business owners and the people working in the businesses what can they do I guess to make the best of this second lockdown but also yeah in terms of their business but also in terms of their morale and in terms of pushing on with their careers and their learning
0: yeah look I'm I think they need to um I think you just need to maybe kind of think a little bit more outside of the box um you know where I'm sort of like trying to push in some stuff that, you know, is not their normal uh, sort of stuff that they'd be selling. Like, you know, we've got T-shirts and we've got other stuff like that that we sell in the shop, you know. So we're, we're trying to like, you know, get that moving as well. Um, you know, hand sanitizer. everybody's doing hand sanitizer and all this other kind of stuff. Um, but just trying to sort of think outside the box, maybe offer, you know, something that's a special that they can come buy once a day and pick up. Like we've got some waffles and stuff like that that we're going to have left over. We don't want them to go to waste. We've got some pancakes mixed that's still there. So, you know, I've said to the chefs in the morning, you know, when you – or chefs in the morning, when you come in tomorrow, maybe do like a takeaway special um, and hopefully someone will buy it. You know, play with it and see what you can do. Uh, you know, pull out a bit of paper, come up with a few ideas for when the lockdown is finished uh, and, you know, sit down, try what, try what you can with what you've got um talk with the owners
1: do you mean in terms of the produce that you've got your produce you've got sitting around the, play with a few dish ideas that sort of yeah
0: thing? not not ordering anything extra but trying to do with what you have um just so you're not sort of idling away your the time
1: cool room mystery box exactly
0: yes yeah it's like a big master chef mystery box in your cool room <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's a really good idea. I love that. And then, if you come up with something and there's a bit of stock there, that could be the kind of thing you put on as a special. And then, would you then put that out on Instagram or would you, how would you, how do you think people should be connecting with their customers?
0: I think definitely, you know, Instagram, um, but it's a very polluted market as well. Um, one sort of thing that we are doing in one of the areas is, um, I think, if especially in a suburb, I feel for the guys in the city, um, but I think in the suburbs, um, you know, flyer drops, things like that, um, just giving them out to your to your local um, your local postie to go around and post it. If you're good friends with your postie, you know, sometimes they'll take them and they'll go around and drop them in. Oh,
1: I didn't know the postie would do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, they definitely do. Get, maybe
1: for some waffles.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we, you know, just like a, you know, come past, bring the pamphlet with you. You know, we'll put it in the bin, the pamphlet, and then we'll give you a free coffee and they, they might buy something. Yeah, you know, just offer something that's to the community, um, and you know the community will support you. Um, With, I've I've seen it through the Pay It Forward campaign that um, we started out at um, Milk and Wine. As soon as we started to show the community that we cared about them, um, they they came back and and they started to care about us, and they actually they did fairly well through uh, opening during that kind of nightmare <laughs> and losing their chef at the same time. Well, that's
1: amazing because. Yeah, because you actually opened um, a cafe right at the start of shutdown, didn't you? Which I thought was the most wildly optimistic thing I'd ever heard. But so tell me about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, there was a part of me too was like, geez, you know, <laughs> if this happens, I, i got to. We all, everybody's got to get paid. Still, we've just hired all these people. Um, how are we going to be able to? Um, how are we going to be able to move forward? You know, our opening day was exactly the day of restrictions. Um, everybody was sort of in hysterics. It was quite hard to, you know, try and push everybody on. But you know, but me being me, I'll i annoy you until you until you do it because I believe it'll work. Um, that's why we went out and you know I did a social, I did a I did the first social media post with you know if you're struggling and you just need help, you know, give us a call. And you know it started with just my my Instagram and milk and wine and connecting to that. And then the guys took that and ran with it. Um, you know, they started doing stuff on the Bopper app. Um, the owners physically got involved. So I think that's another big thing is, you know, if, if you really want to succeed right now as an owner, you, you need to be in your business. You need to be seen there. Um, people, I think they like to see the owner there, uh, especially community sort of, you know, suburby style, you um, cafes and restaurants they they like to see that the owner's still there and cares uh, especially in a time of need like right now um and that's that's sort of how it started you know the owners were getting in their cars and doing deliveries and dropping them off to people who who couldn't leave um you know and pff, even me myself as an R U A K ambassador like every now and then you know you do i try to do one good thing a year and you know i mean this sometimes you 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 meet some people and you just go wow you know what my life isn't that bad
1: yeah. So you are an RUOK ambassador, Sam. So tell us more about that and about, you know, your, how you think mental health is going at the moment in the Melbourne hospitality industry.
0: I think, um, I mean, I've been an RUOK ambassador now since 2016. Um, I've done a lot of taste of, we did taste of Melbourne in 2017 and then went to Sydney and did that and we raised um, $10,000 um, it's, just, it's, it's only small amounts, um, but, you know, it's more about getting the, the message out there that, you know, people can actually have a chat about it and um, not feel left alone. And I know, um, you know, growing up when I did in hospitality, you know, if, if you were sort of the person to put your hand up and say, hey, look, I'm having a bit of a mental breakdown, you know, you'd, they'd kind of look for the next the next person to come and take your job. Um, it wasn't sort of something, it was a bit of a weakness rather than a, um, rather than something we talked about. And for me, back when I was, you know, 19, 20, when I was working at Rockpool, you know, that, that was a bit daunting for me. I was like, oh, you know, geez, you got to, um, you just got to, you got to have tough skin. I don't know how many times I went home and was in a bit of a, a bit of a state. Um, and I've, I've suffered with, um, suicide and stuff when I was younger Um, I'm open to talk about it now because I find if you talk about it, um, it's, it's a little bit more natural and then you'll find that people will, you know, not not everybody will want to talk about it. You'll find some people who will just sort of brush it off and go away from it because it's a bit uncomfortable to talk about. Um, but then there are people out there who actually care. Um, and you'll be surprised. It's normally the people that don't, that you don't really know or the people that, you know, you might not get along with, um, they, they kind of understand this kind of stuff and... In hospitality, especially in the kitchens, you know, um, you know what chefs are like. Everybody wants that that top position, especially when you're working in those big restaurants. They want that top-tier position. They want to be the one standing on the pass next to the chef. They want to be the next head chef in that venue. They want to be, you know, the next the next gourmet traveller, superstar, whatever, whatever it have you. <laughs> so it can be hard to talk to people about it. Um, so I think the industry itself... These days is much better. At, um, there's a lot more resources out there, like Are You Okay. Um, you've always had Beyond Blue, um, but more so I think Are You Okay with their um, approach and 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 how they they sort of handle things. You know, with their their pamphlets, and you can see them all over the bus stops um, since this um, since the pandemic sort of started. Um, they they really they really put themselves out there and um, they give back, and you see the chefs too, like Neil Perry, um, Miguel Maestra. Uh, Myself, um, Manu, all those guys, they sort of, you know, they jump on that bandwagon of trying to make it a little bit more comfortable.
1: What was it for you that made you go from that feeling that you you couldn't show that weakness or vulnerability to feeling like it was something that you could talk about?
0: Um, I think for me it was when I realised that um, bottling it in was making me very angry I know that I would take um, – you know, when I was chasing like chef's hats and stuff like that, I know I – mean, I had a good team with me for a good eight years um, and, <laughs> you know, I used to take it out on them. I know I did. Um, and then one day it kind of hit me. I just was like, you know what, Sam, I think um, this is not good. You're, I'm passing on something that maybe I, I'd learnt in a way and, uh, and I, I kind of just thought to myself, you know, it's, it's almost like a, an addiction. Like you've got you to stop it somewhere. You gotta, someone's got to be able to go, okay, enough's enough. Let's try and do something else. I had a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, um, tell me, why don't you go try and, you know, talk to a ps- psychologist or a psychiatrist or something like that. And um, that, that's when it changed for me because after I started talking about it to somebody who I didn't know, I was like, well, actually, this works. And then I became a lot more comfortable with, with who I am as a person and I also became a lot more comfortable with who I was as a chef and being able to uh, pass that on to my chefs and letting them be able to pass it on to the guys below them because there's nothing like, you know, the, the head rots from the top down. Uh, I come in, I'm yelling, I'm not in the great mood, I'm yelling at everybody, I take it out on people and then, you know, the sous chefs will go take it out on the next below the chef's parties and then the chef's parties will take it out on the commies and then the commies are going to go take it out on the apprentices and then, you know, whoever's next down the line, normally the waiters or something, they're going to feel it.
1: <laughs> so uh, did it change your ambitions as a chef?
0: It definitely did. I think too in 2017, you know, I mean, I was really lucky. I, I sort of got to, I got to go to the Good Food Guide at a really young age so I got to really experience that. Um, I, I, you know, I, I've had, I was lucky I got gourmet travelers stuff. I've, I've, I've actually done quite a lot in my younger career. Not that I'm not young anymore. I'm only 31, but, um, I've done a lot more than I thought I was going to do. Like I got my, my book, I published my book in 2017. So I think doing, doing all those, getting all those things done and ticking them off as well. Sort of allowed me to go, you know what, we, we don't have to be like this to achieve those things. And now, as a consultant, you know, I, I try to go in there with as many processes and as many, uh, and with an open mind as I can because I know you meet all sorts of different chefs and owners and everybody's got ideas and, and you learn from everybody every day. As a consultant, it doesn't mean I know it all. I definitely don't. I, I, I walk into places and I go, you know what, this guy's right. And I take the bits that I learn every time and I adapt them to myself. Um, And that's what I teach my chefs uh, in menu writing and costing and and even in their prep.
1: What do you mean with their prep?
0: Um, I think, you know, sometimes we can get caught up in, you know, um, like I know depending on where you are, this is as well. I think if you're in a fine dining restaurant, you know, and the chef wants, you you know, two millimetres by two millimetres dice, then that's what the chef wants um but do we have to waste do we have to waste the end of the onion um you know do we have to throw out the top of the leeks? can we actually do something with those things cuz i remember there's you know we used to take out the membrane of the of the um of the capsicum and you know i used to think to myself and then we'd put that in the bin and i'd go you know what you can actually make a coolie out of that or you can actually do something with that you can actually do something with every part of anything you just got to sort of think about it, and how are you going to use it, um, and not just throwing it into a stock. Because sometimes, you know, you just, you, I know chefs, you know, oh, will just throw that into a stock, but it never ends up in a stock. It just ends up in the bin, or ends up rotting somewhere. That's about eighty percent of the truth. That's what I find happens.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe that's a good lockdown project: is just to, yeah, pick up a capsicum or a pumpkin. And think about some other things that could be done with it. It's
0: actually it's like I see, you know, a lot of people with the pumpkins, especially like the Japanese pumpkins. You know, they peel them. And I think to myself, why peel it? Why peel all that, all that beautiful skin off when you know, if you if you're roasting it or you're frying it, or pan frying it or something like that. You know, that that skin's got a really really good flavour. Um, you can do a lot with that skin, but we just don't. You just get stuck in a way. Especially, it depends where you come from. I was lucky enough to starting a really, really, you know, Parmesanery sort of like a I'll say a a cowboy sort of joint. So I learned a lot of cowboy ways in the beginning. Um but then when I went to work with guys like Neil Perry and Jacques Ramond, Paul Wilson, I I then adapted to the way that, that they do things. And I was like, okay. So there's this this there's, there's pluses to being a cowboy sometimes and then there's pluses in in being, you know, a really, really great chef. But combining both of them is a really, really, uh, I believe, a strong attribute.
1: Mm. You've got so much, yeah, such broad experience. You've packed so much in into your years. What, what, what can we distill from your experience to advise people as they go into this lockdown and out the other side? Like, uh, What are some of the ways that they could position themselves best to be able to come out the other side positive, passionate and with a viable business?
0: yeah look, I think you know really think outside of the box. keep all your options open everything if you 've got an idea in your head that you 've been thinking of now is the time to give it a go because no one 's going to judge you there 's no food critics coming there's no there 's nothing really happening at the moment so so keep an open mind uh, go into it with with passion and just give everything a go. Like if, like I said, we're, we're selling t-shirts and, and kids beanies. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> what do you think's gonna? What's the industry gonna look like after we come out of this? What do you think's gonna fly? What are people gonna want?
0: I think they're really homey, homey sort of style stuff. Um, you know, we've gone. I think we've gone through the lasagnas and the pasta bakes and. You know all that kind of stuff, but I, I think you know for cafes, if you're out there, I'm I'm saying do, you know your brekkie, your brekkie burgers, maybe your chicken schnitzel sandwich. Keep it keep it simple, um, but also don't be afraid to ask your customers if they're coming in for a coffee. You know what, what they might want to see, um, because they're obviously the ones who are going to buy from you. Uh, depending on where you are, maybe have a look through your area. I know where we are, one of our places, there's not many burgers around this area, so we've decided we're going to do burgers, but we're also going to do brecky burgers during the day as well. Um, we're going to do another round of flyer drops, um, and on those flyer drops, we're, we're going to let people fill them out um, and, and sort of just you know, give, give them back to us, and we'll see um, what we can mm. do.
1: What are you going to do tonight, Sam? Are you going to have a quiet one, or go to a restaurant for the last time? What's What are you going to do?
0: I was going to go out, but um, I'm probably just going to take a few burgers from here, to be honest with you, and cook them at home, <laughs> um, and just relax and probably watch my partner play the PlayStation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That sounds yeah, it sounds pretty chill. I'm
0: just going to chill, yeah, <laughs> and then get back into it tomorrow.
1: It's got a strange feeling, almost like a, a sudden New Year's Eve kind of vibe in Melbourne this evening, which to me feels a little bit, I don't know, a little bit scary. Like, sh- I don't know, I, I I want the restaurants to sell all their produce. I want them to have as much in the bank as possible. And I totally understand the sentiment of going out there and enjoying them. And So I guess by the time people listen to this, they'll attend New Year's Eve and then we're all going to have a... A, a, a big January one. It's such a weird one.
0: It is, and I'm looking forward to – I'm looking forward for it to – I just really want it to end, so I wish, you know, you know, the panic buying and all this other stuff that's going on, I wish that would just stop. Um, but I really just want – I think people need to understand that it, it it is going to affect us. It is going to be really hard in hospitality. Um, but it's uh, – there's some part of me still that thinks a little bit of this is going to be for the better. You know, we're going to we're we're going to learn to be a lot cleaner. We're going to learn to be, you know, more more health orientated. I think a lot of things are going to change. Um, people are going to be, you know, this one thing I haven't seen lately is a lot of rubbish in the street. Um, so I think there's there's some pluses to this. Uh, we just got to remember that when we get out of it that we've been through it and all the little factors leading up to it, we don't repeat.
1: Well, I suppose we're all just, you know, wondering how we've got back into this situation and it would be great. I think, you know, what I feel from you and what we, you just feel from everybody is we would love to know how this happened so it doesn't happen again. And there is a lot of finger pointing. There's a lot of, um there's just a lot of frustration because it felt like we had a lid on it and it felt like we were going to be able to slowly open up and people were going to be able to regroup. And, you know, I think the energy that people need to put into shutting down again you know, pivoting again and, you know, that light at the end of the tunnel just gets that little bit further away. It is so incredibly difficult. Um, But, Sam, it it is so nice to hear you talk about ways that we can make the most of this second lockdown, ways that we can approach it, think about it, make the best of it, and also so nice to that you think that there are permanent positives that are going to come out of it when we actually do get out of it. Um, So it's been, yeah, brilliant to have you share your experience and expertise, especially at the end of such a tough day of um, packing down and you know having some hard conversations. So thank you so much for chatting with Dirty Linen today.
0: Oh, no worries, Danny. Anytime. Thank you very much for having me.
1: If this conversation has brought things up for you and you need some support, contact Beyond Blue at beyondblue.org.au or one 224636. You can also contact Lifeline on 13 one, four. This is Dirty Linen, and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at linen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.